This is Archive Atlanta, episode 231, 1906 Race Massacre Replay. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So last week was the first time in five years I did not release an episode as planned. That's because my laptop died at like 8.30 p.m. on a Thursday night and I had not recorded or edited and I just threw in the towel. But the good news is the laptop is resuscitated. It's still acting a little wonky, but at least I can go back to editing. And while I do have actually several new episodes waiting in the wings, I decided to re-air episode 188 that I released at this time last year with my friend Angel Bond. And that's because if you're listening in real time, today marks the 117th anniversary of the 1906 race massacre. And I did an episode 19 way, way back at the beginning of this journey. Um, and I titled it the 1906 race riot. So this episode with Anne is important because we discussed her efforts to change the name. We included stories of Brownsville and East Point, And we really got into details about the financial impact and the role of the black press. So without further ado, if you did not listen last year, I hope you enjoy our conversation. And if you're a longtime listener, you may remember that I covered this way back in episode 19 from January of 2019. But what you may also remember is that I called it the 1906 race riot. And this has really been the accepted nomenclature since the event happened um, in textbooks, in writing, in research. But today I want to revisit this story add some more history that I missed, and detail and share the updated language and why it's so important. So to do that, I have a very special guest with me who also happens to be one of my best friends, Anne Hill Bond. And I'm going to let Anne introduce herself, but as my as I call myself her self-appointed publicist, um, I want everyone to know that she does all the things, um, and especially around researching and memorializing the race massacre. So here she is giggling in the background. Um <laughs> Which is always what we do, actually, giggle together. Very true. When we're not yelling about yes. people. Um, yes. So, Anne, tell us who you are. Oh, God. Um, my name is Anne Hilbond. I'm a journalist, and um, I'm struggling with my second part, but I'm going to just go ahead and say a preservationist. And that just wraps in my independent research work. Um, so, yeah, outside of that, I'm a mother and a community engager. Yeah, that's really what I do. Um, the work here that I that I'm doing right now is around memorializing and bringing awareness uh, to the legacy of racial terror uh, here in Fulton County, which is done through various organizations that I'm a part of. And so, yeah, that's really, I think that wraps it up maybe kind yeah. of, sort of. Well, and that's yeah. important to note because you, you aren't, when we talk about racial terror, it's obviously around the massacre, but there are other incidents of racial terror that yeah. you're working on. Like, mm-hmm. you want to talk about them for a second? Oh, <laughs> sure. There is Dennis Hubert. There, um, what he was 18 year old Morehouse student that got, that was, that got, that was lynched in, uh, Pittsburgh community. There is, uh, Mac Henry Brown. Um, there is Floyd Carmichael that is in the South Atlanta, South Bend area. There is the Palmetto Massacre. We can go on and yeah, on. Yeah, we days. can. So if so, anyone's yeah. visited, and it's probably a separate episode, if anyone's <laughs> visited the, um, the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama, yes. and you visited the, the part where the collection of soil, the jars of soil, mm-hmm. um, 
Um, those are commemorating lynching victims across the country, but um, Anne also works with Fulton County Remembrance mm-hmm. to get those jars from Fulton County sent there. Um, and some of those jars are related to the massacre, which I think we'll get to in yes. a second. So before even let's talk about details and reminding people, mm-hmm. why why are we changing the name? So change the name campaign. I created it and I lead this campaign along with other community members, <laughs> along with other civic organization, uh, community leaders here in Atlanta and actually nationally. Changing the name is important because when we change, when we're looking at reimagining and changing history, you have to begin with language. Riot was not in, in its current day, people say riot, and that is a civil unrest. You know, we have the civil unrest of the 60s. We have the civil unrest of the 2020, right? Even more recent when we talk about the legacy, right? But what wasn't a riot <laughs> is 1906. We should be comparing 1906 to the mass murders of today, to the Texas school, to the Buffalo, to the uh, South Carolina uh, church, to, uh, you know, what's big and popular now 1921 Tulsa if we're compa- if we are really speaking truth to power those are the type of events in history that we should be looking at and saying wait this actually aligns with this not with the civil unrest that we experience with the civil rights movement or George Floyd and speaking of Tulsa, they updated their language, right? Yes. It, was mm-hmm. it last year? Or was it yeah, last- during their centennial. They, uh, But they've been working on um, their history of Tulsa for about 20 years. And last year... With the George Floyd, uh, with the George Floyd being in a pandemic, yes, but also with Hollywood, right? When Watchmen came out, we had to really sit with that history. Like, wait, what happened? <laughs> How many? Well, you you mean sixteen hours and three hundred people were killed? How did that happen? Because of a mob of of angry white people and a mob. You're like, this is domestic terror that we don't want to talk about because it is going to be upsetting to some people. But at the end of the day, we need to heal. And healing comes with having conversations time and time again. Just because we change the name doesn't stop the conversation. It actually opens the conversation. Change the name from 1906 Atlanta Race Riot to 1906 Atlanta Race Massacre is a must uh, because it aligns with what we see today. If you have three or more people being killed at a certain time in a hate crime, that's a massacre. It's not a riot. We're not, in 1906, yes, property got destroyed, but 25 people were documented, which we'll talk about the documented (laughs) part, uh, were documented being lynched, right? And killed. But we had hundreds more that we don't know anything about, right? You and I go back and forth about that. Like, wait, where's the other people? Yeah, we're what are sending they each doing? other newspaper articles at like 3 a.m. <laughs> we, we wake up to like, wait, who's this? This funeral home? Where was this? You know, set uh, set off the alarms. Our little research nerd group starts trying to look this up. Um, right. And that actually, like, it's a good segue because mm-hmm. like you said, there are documented deaths mm-hmm. that are 25, is it? 25, yes. 25. And there, you are memorializing. It was, we, we only know some of their names. Yeah, right? we only know fourteen. Only fourteen. Fourteen. Names. Eleven are unnamed. So we have eleven unnamed jars. Wow. And then, so in our language from EJI, we literally say twenty-five victims, African American documented lynching victims. Uh, fourteen named, eleven unnamed, and countless unknown because we don't know. People are jumping. I'm sure you listened to Victoria's episode. People are jumping out, you know, off the streetcar, off the Forsyth Bridge, running. We don't know. 
I'm sure we're going to get to the part about just how far it expands to that we yes, never really talk about. That's later. <laughs> but it's fine. The point is, yeah, that, so a lot of the memorialization in Fulton County around this work comes from the race massacre. And because documented nationally, there's 4,400 lynchings. 536 of them took place in Georgia. 36 of them took place in Fulton County. And that's the largest in the state. Wow. Fulton County is the largest in the state? Largest number of documented lynching in the state. I did not know that. Wow. In the state of Georgia. And that's because 25 of them were doing this four-day, three-night killing spree. And then talking about that, because I I well, I looked at my notes because again, yeah. as a long time ago episode. Um, but I definitely don't think I talked about Brownsville or South Atlanta, and I didn't even know about East Point until yeah. I met you. Yeah. Um, and so that's a good point, like you said. Like, can you talk about those two places mm-hmm. and really expanding? Because when we talk about the race massacre, you know, the tours are downtown, and of course, downtown is important. It started mm-hmm. downtown. A lot of the property damage was downtown. Most people were living down there, but it went all the way to South Atlanta and and reached East Point. So mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. want to talk about Brownsville. Yeah. So um, what we know about Brownsville is, and Victoria and I go back and forth about this, like the Diamond Hill that we call Diamond Hill today, like that was really because of South Atlanta, right? South Atlanta was established right after Summerhill. And so after Summerhill, you have Brownsville and then you get the AEU Center, right? And so... Brownsville was essentially your AU center. You Clark College, Clark University was over there. Gammon Theological you was over there. That is now ITC in the AU center. So you have all of these prominent universities, these prominent figures, Luther Price. Uh, we realized through, you know, our up and down the street, D.H. Staten lived over there. A professor from Spelman lived over there. It was just the who's who of Atlanta in the early 1900s. And so that was a cause for disruption in the massacre, right? Like, who are they to think that they can have upward mobility? Because, and I, and I hope I talked about this. I'm going to re-listen, but a lot of the fuel to the fire of the massacre was was the upwardly mobile black mm-hmm. upper middle class that we had yeah. and education. Yeah. Because like you said, it was fine if black people were just the people we thought they were, that yeah. white people thought they were, which yeah. was uneducated, mm-hmm. can't get their shit together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what Atlanta yeah. wasn't that. Atlanta and like I remember reading that the the mob of of the, the 10,000, you know, mob of white people skipped over the quote unquote rougher black yes. neighborhoods. Yes. They weren't going to Pittsburgh. No. They weren't, they weren't going to Darktown. <laughs> no. But they were going to go to Brownsville mm-hmm. because that's where, like we were talking about, the who's who, the who's reverends, yep. the teachers, yep. the yep. professionals, mm-hmm. because that was the most threatening to, yeah. to white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You will, you'll see names come up here in recent. Um, you, if you know of Bowen Holmes, then you know that, you know, Bowen Holmes was named after, uh, J-W-E or J-W-E Bowen. Then you'll hear of um, Irvin, uh, Reverend Glenn Irvin. Um, You'll hear of J. Max Barber. You'll hear of all of these prominent um, African-American names start to come up here um, in the, in a few coming days of like, hey, who are these people? We see them in documents, but who were they to Atlanta to cause white society to be in such of a disruption? Like, who are they? Right. And you'll find out that they are the they are the movers and the shakers. They are the ones that's connected to W.E.B. Du Bois. They're the ones that's connected to Booker T. Washington. They're the ones that are uh, helping the African-Americans get education, establish business 
businesses establish residence by homes. And so with that and it being an election year that everyone talks about, right, in yellow journalism, then, you know, hey, the, like the first line in our narrative says it was very clear, like, we are going to kill the Negroes. And that's what they did. They did. So real quick, Brown, like, I mean, really, South Atlanta is going to have its own episode one day because Luther Price makes um, part of the massacre story because he is arrested for supplying weapons to us. And essentially, if I got the story straight, is that the people of Brownsville heard of this mob that's coming for them. Mm -hmm. And so they they get together. They they all come out in the streets. They arm themselves. They want to protect their Mm -hmm. women and their children and all that stuff. Right. the way it's contextualized and the way that it's researched, it's almost like, how could 10,000 people make it to Brownsville? It's because they literally like woke up, went to sleep, woke up, went to sleep. And it was a full day thing. There was no state of emergency given. There was no covering giving to like, don't, you know, no uh, bill or resolution drawn um, that came after Brownsville residents was like, oh, we're going to arm ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Which, which was illegal, by the way, for black people. It was. Uh, yes. Talk about the Second Amendment. It was only for white yeah, people. It was illegal. However, in, in research and in history that I'm discovering, even up until yesterday, discovering how this event was so widely spread amongst African-Americans, people, African-Americans in McDonough that had uh, weapons, you know, put the weapons in a coffin and shipped them up here wow. via the train. Wow. And then somehow the Port Pullmans, right? Yeah, Is that what they, yeah. the Pullmans got them to the residents to defend themselves. So you're talking about now, like having to look into like the Underground Railroad wow. of this, this event. Like how did the, cause we often say, how are messages the, spread? Yeah. That's and, and we always credit this one person. It's almost like Jesus and the fish, right? <laughs> Situation like, oh, this one person's applied like thousands of no that makes sense and that's why honestly not that i didn't believe it but i was like well that can't be possible he didn't have 200 guns sitting in his you know and you read the papers and you know it's like oh he had gunpowder but Mm -hmm. of course he had gunpowder because he had a general store Mm -hmm. so it's that is blowing my mind yeah that somebody in mcdonough would know this in 1906 that quickly yeah within a couple days i mean look at by by day five uh what is the la petite journal in france was like you're right. This is interesting. Talking about changing the name, the La Petite in France said in their in in French, the Negroes are being massacred really? in 1906. Really? And so, how do we come up with a riot? And we're going to talk about press, but I'm just going to leave it there. Right? No, no, okay. Well, let's go down. So that's South Atlanta, but then East Point. East Point, yes. So East Point got the word through that we that, that this was open season for killing black people, like uh, it's in particularly black men because of the stories the that were coming out. The threat against white women. Yes, the yep. threat against white women. So how East Point got involved is there was a mob in East that took that took it upon themselves to start, you know, shutting down the city around this is white people in east point in east point. okay they form their own they like mini mob. their own mini mob okay. right <laughs> I, i've just coined that term mini mob go on go on mini mob and they um and they deputize themselves which and- by the way just total side mm-hmm. note because i was researching something else the amount of self-deputizing uh, and deputizing of other white people just standing around mm-hmm. is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, the the way that that was so normal yeah. to just for a white police officer to look at another white person and yeah. like give him a weapon yeah. and be like, oh, by the way, you're sheriff now yeah. happened yeah. 
all the time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. on. And the legacy of that, because we're talking about how to track the through line, right? If you, re- George. I mean, yeah. No, I mean, I was reading it. This is, we can get into this later. A rabbit hole I went to, went into um, where essentially they took a streetcar, they turned it into a paddy wagon yeah. and there was one white guy on the streetcar and the yeah. cop was like, oh, here, by the way, you're, you're, you're sheriff now, yeah. you know? And yeah. that was totally normal. Yeah. So yeah. I wonder why white people feel like they're the police right yeah. today. Right today. You know? Today. Like they can just do this. So <laughs> Episode part two coming. <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, they self-deputized themselves and there was a gentleman, uh, Zeb Long is his name, was seen. And Zeb Long was a black man. He's a black okay. man. Uh, about 30 years old. They said he's about six foot tall. And, and let me just say this. I probably, the, the, what I'm reading is white press, right? In white of newspapers course. at the time. So they probably, he probably was five, two, but to them, they were, he was six foot, right? So I'm putting it in perspective in my mind and to, to you guys that are listening. It was said that he was about 30 years old, six, two, about 200 pounds. And he was carrying all of this weaponry. And because of that, he was resisting arrest and they locked him up. When they went to lock him up, the East Point jail was was raggedy. And so the mom came, grabbed him out of jail. Even when it wasn't raggedy, it, those white people would just be like, oh, the door was open. Was, but go on. <laughs> it was noted that it was raggedy. And um, they came in uh, and, you know, lynched him and left his body hanging for the morning for everybody to see. So people were waking up to this this body hanging. They set up really about like two miles, two or three miles from the jail. So we put that in. So this marker just went up last week. This is the no, one. No, this is, that was Warren Powell. Sorry. Okay. Uh, the one, Zeb Long's is going up. I'm sorry. How sad week. is it? Oh no, not that lynching victim. This other one. Sorry. So Zeb Long is going to yeah, go It's up. coming up okay. uh, in uh, next Saturday, the 24th. Okay. So Zeb Long is a part. And so when it was reported out, it was like, oh, they're actually killing, doing lynchings in wow. East Point as well in connection with the massacre. So it was wrapped into the massacre because it was a mob lynching. Interesting. Again, did not know that until I met you. So I don't think people understand the scope of it. Yeah. Something I want to talk about that you also always brought up that I did not think about is the financial impact. So we're talking about people dying. We're talking Mm -hmm. about property damage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, But I don't think we think further to how does this impact generational wealth yeah. and all that stuff. So yeah. if you want to tell some stories. Absolutely. So one of the things that uh, hit me in recent uh, in recent discovery, and when I say recent, I'm talking about like the past six months, is really diving into other massacres and how that occurred. And I was listening to a gentleman talk about Tulsa. And Tulsa, through their research, discovered that the Tulsa massacre happened in 16 hours. So in 16 hours, 200 to 300 people are documented dead. In 16 hours, $1.5 to $2 million of the day, we're talking 1921, was done in damages. So immediately my spark plug goes off like, wait a minute. If this happened in 16 hours, what What happened in four days? Wow. What happened in four days in Atlanta? So of course I did my digging. And they're saying that the city was only under 500,000 for the four days, four days of killing. The city only lost $500,000. I was like, this, if, if, if a passage was a liar, right? (laughs) This would be the passage. What do you mean in four days? But here's the thing, right? When we think about the after effect, the immediate after effect was, 
the city's back to itself again. Yeah. Yay. Which and and talk about this all the time is Atlanta puts it under the rug. Yep. And everything's fine. Yep. Everything's great. This yep. never happened. Yep. What are you talking about? Yep. Like we yep. didn't we didn't even teach it to kids till 2006. Mm-hmm. So there just wasn't any desire. Yeah. And Atlanta's I mean, it's the Atlanta way. It's, the it's Atlanta like way. that never happened, the bad thing. We fix it. Yeah, we fix we the fix bad it. thing. It's great. Biracial yeah. coalition. Yay. Yeah. So <laughs> no one cares to uh to, to figure talk out. about it. But yeah, that's something like so they said five hundred dollars five hundred thousand dollars were done. Uh, was was the revenue loss for the city for the four day three night massacre? Wow. And on top of that, they did give what they deemed to be reparations. It was an amount of about two to two thousand to five thousand dollars. We're still looking to see how many African Americans yeah. got this money because so we don't George Union who Wilder, it. who was a a, um, a Union soldier, he fought for yeah. He was the a, he was a black man that fought for the Union. He's buried at Southview. He's right? buried at okay. Southview. His wife had to go through hell and high water to get his benefit. From the country. So I can only imagine what local people had to do. And then the other impact of this that we don't talk about is that migration. And that, and something that you and I and our, our nerd group talks about is that micro migration, right? We often think great migration like African Americans went to New York or the Midwest. No, you had some people just like, I don't want to be on this side of town. Yes, yes. I'm not going to be downtown anymore or I'm not uh, going to be near white people anymore. Yeah. And, so and, I'm just going to go over here. Yep. And so that is what you see happening because IE after 1906, when, when we talk about that and I, in, in speaking this out now, because I, I don't really talk. Uh, and speaking this, I don't really talk to public people. Uh, and speaking this out now, I guess in hindsight, it would be like, well, you, well, African Americans picked up themselves by the bootstrap after the massacre because, you know, you have Sweet Auburn. Yeah. That was a micro. Of course. Oh, no. Migration. We, when I talk about Sweet Auburn, I'm always yeah. like, really, the concentration, because it was very German, Jewish, black. Mm-hmm. Um, but after 1906, it became very all black because. Yeah. Like Herndon, who had a shop downtown, mm-hmm. were just like, no, I'm not going to put myself out there. Mm-hmm. And then even then, when you develop the West Side and Hunter Street and that, mm-hmm. then people rush over there mm-hmm. because why would you want to be near white people yeah. after they just try to murder you yeah. for four days? Yeah, yeah. So that is those micro migrations that we don't talk about in the city of Atlanta and how we became the city that we are today of this is historically African-American and this is historically this and this is historically that. Because we migrated and 1906 has so much to do with it. And that economic, that this, in looking further into the in- income disparity, disparities, right? Um, that we are facing today. We're number three in the nation. If you're, if you're born poor, you're going to die poor, they say here in Atlanta. And so. When we look at that and you backtrack, you have to backtrack it to 1906. The amount of bars, the amount of businesses that were that were homes taken away, homes, any- all of this stuff that were taken away and destroyed, that's, that's physical property. But even the mental and the spiritual part of it, like, I don't want to be here. So and I the trauma, the, the trauma. generational trauma. Yes. I mean, yes. if like you hear the stories of John Wesley Dobbs, you know, staying up for four days in a row, yeah. sitting on his porch with yeah. a gun because yeah. you thought you were going to die. Yeah. And so did uh, uh, Du Bois. Yeah. Oh, well, and he, yeah. I mean, he ended up 
of course, writing the poem. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And we talk about those, of course, because they're bigger names. Yeah. But we don't talk... And these are people with means. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, people with yeah. social capital, whatever. Yeah. We're not talking about, quote unquote, the regular people. The regular people. Who live through this yeah. trauma. Yeah. And then the other part that I, I find very interesting is that the the newspaper, the, uh, the gentleman that doesn't get talked about, that that literally he had to pick Barber. up a leaf. Yes. is Barber. This is, right? This is transition to black <laughs> press. So black, black press. press is at the end of my yeah. list here because yeah. by the way we're recording this in the Atlanta voice offices Yay! which Love I the feel Atlanta voice office very historic here yes. um but you do so much work with black press yes. and like you said this is a story no one talks about mm-hmm. um the running out of the city of Max Barber yeah. but the coverage like right now we keep talking about white press white press that's because we the only black press archives that exist prior to the daily world are the Atlanta Independent yes which it, it really was an odd fellows paper mm-hmm. it's not exactly it doesn't have a but it's funny because the Atlanta Independent when you read their October issue front page it says the Atlanta massacre does it it says the Atlanta That's massacre so, so I find it interesting that we're constantly pulling the French paper but right here in the city we're not pulling our own paper we're not pulling our and own that's paper all, and that is our only again at least that I know of unless it's someone's basement our only remaining black paper archive from that time other than Barbara leaving I mean no Barbara's papers is 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 microfilmed it is yes okay it's okay. microfilmed sorry so never yeah. mind mm-hmm. um that, but then after that, we, we start in the 30s. So mm-hmm. we do not have a whole, we are reading about the massacre usually from the Constitution. From the Constitution. And so, so let's talk about Jane. But that's local because we haven't, at least I haven't looked at the other black press nationally. Like, the, oh, like I'm sure the Afro in DC reported on this massacre. I see what you're saying. Right? Um, because they're 130 years old. The massacre is 116 years old. You're right. Yeah. So I haven't looked at it nationally yet to see what black press call it because I wanted to see what people here living in experience of course, it, yeah. was calling it. So let's talk about, is a J. Max Barber, yes, right? J. Let's Max talk Bar- about him mm-hmm. and who was he and what did he run? Yeah. So J. Max Barber was the editor of the voice of the negro and he ran um a periodical it was called at the time and at its peak which was right around the 1905 1906 because it started in 1903 1904 it was at its peak of 15,000 around the nation and that was big for the time he was running a periodical that uh talked about different things like uh, the Niagara movement, because he was one of the founders of the Niagara movement. He talks about lynching. He talked about, you know, the cotton expansion, about business, about birth. And, you know, because you've looked in, uh, African American newspapers, the, uh, the socialites yeah, and yeah, the weddings yeah. and all of Tea these parties, right? meetings, it was love just, meetings. Yes. It was all of these things wrapped in one paper. But what is very important to know about J. Max Barber and the voice of the Negro is they're one of the papers that stood up until the truth nationally. He was ran out of town, and I can't wait for us to do this moment of overlap, right? He was ran out of town day four of the massacre, the white leadership, the Committee of Ten, right? That's what they were called. The Committee of Ten got together and say, hey, let's bring the black leadership down here and let's end this, right? So we're talking about after Brownsville is like, yeah, no, yeah. wrong, wrong group, wrong party, wrong time, wrong everything. It's going down. And the, uh, a white police officer yes, being killed. Yes. And, and what 
really is self-defense, right? Like you're coming to... Yeah, you approach a group of 250 <laughs> people who are afraid of being killed. I I don't... It's not shocking that a shot rings out yeah, and takes out right. someone. And we're in, we're in the thick of the night too. So yes. we don't know who's who. We just know that we have been terrorized for three days and day four is like, hey, there's only so much a person can take. Like I am... I'm just like... So we're... So after... The death of uh, herd, then white leadership comes together mm. and say, "Bring all the black leaders down here." So then you get your Bowens, your um, Irvin, your um, Herndons, you all of your black leadership needs to come down to City Hall. And so, mind you, prior to that, there has been meetings to say, "Hey." Can you call this to stop? Can you, you know, protect us in some way? But okay, now an officer is dead. So now we really need to stop, right? Because Atlanta has to preserve. It's a it's a train town. It's a transportation town. It's about business. Atlanta has to stop. So before it becomes like its own little city civil war, we have to stop. So they get together and it's documented that it's like, okay, this is how we're going to tell the story. This is how we're going to wow. do this. And so... This is this is black and white leaders this just is saying this is how we're well, going to tell this. Well, this is white leaders telling well, black yes, leaders. Yes. This is how we're going to move around this situation. And everybody said, okay. You know, I mean, at the time, African-Americans were in danger of their lives. So I would, you know, this is the negotiation. Yeah. Cool, whatever. Let's do it. Oh, and Barber wasn't going to play along. And Barber said... Oh. He said yes. He said yes. But then he issued an anonymous letter. Oh, I read this. Yes. To the New York. To a newspaper somewhere else, right? To a newspaper in New York. Detroit even maybe. I might be making this up. Mm -mm. It was in New York. Okay. To a newspaper in New York that was literally like, give me two seconds. I'm going to tell you. An anonymous letter by Barbara was published by the New York World. Ooh. And his letter what charged the newspapers, the Atlanta Georgian and the Atlanta Constitution with fabricating reports of black men assaulting white women, which ignited the massacre. Then he was identified. <gasps> and from our Victoria and I uh, research, mainly Victoria, because here's where it overlaps. Here's where <laughs> things get juicy in the city. It is some way related to Captain English. It is. Saying to Barber, hey, you have two options. Get in your convict leasing or get the heck out of town while you can still walk. And we all know Captain English was all he, about who, that convict yes. leasing. Chattahoochee money. Brick, go yes. back to that episode. He was yes. the owner of it, also mayor, also police commissioner, <laughs> but very much identified, I think, I don't doubt that black people in Atlanta knew him as the keeper of convict leasing. Yeah. Because you see that in the Washerwoman episode where Mm -hmm. they write him that letter and it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, we want to control our labor as you control our husbands and brothers and sons. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. So Max was Max Max was like, yeah, no, I'm going to get out of town. So he left. He left and went to Chicago. Goes to Chicago. He went to Chicago, revamped the voice of the Negro to just the voice. Okay. Um, And if you read, because I've read that issue Mm -hmm. when he gets to Chicago. Yeah. He, it's like the first or second page mm-hmm. is like a, this is what happened, guys. Right. You know, I'm, I'm in Chicago now. Yeah. Everything's cool. And, and yeah. then, then it becomes a Chicago magazine. Yeah. It becomes a Chicago magazine for a few years. And then he ups and says, I'm going to go to 
dental school in Philadelphia. It's like, oh, this, this loop of it all. So anyways, he ups and goes to Philadelphia. But during that time, what's important about Black press during that time is that we were having our own moment of defining what that looked like, defining how we went about, you know, telling the story because we have... We have um, we have Booger T. Washington saying one thing. We have Du Bois with his litany of Atlanta. We have J. Max Barber. We have uh, Benjamin Davis. We have all of these constructs around what do we call it? What do we say? What do, can we not say? Because it might threaten our lives. It might threaten our family. I, I think what's interesting about what I found out about uh, W.E.B. Du Bois as he's writing these litanies and writing this experience and really walking through this time in Atlanta is that he lost a child. Yes, to smallpox or yeah, something like that. Yeah, right. Something that was very preventable, but but because he was a black man, had a black child, mm-hmm. he wasn't getting the same care, exactly. access to health care, and exactly. his, his child died. Exactly. Yeah. So dealing with all of that, like, you know, African Americans aren't, aren't separated from just life happening with the social construct. So Barbara just left and, you know, he, he married, um, he didn't have any children, but he raised his niece and his, um, niece had a son and that's how that lineage is kept. However, like I said, around black press, it's that thing of like that constant back and forth of like, should I get into this? Should I not get into it? Yeah. Is this going to be how I die? Because I decide to accurately write about something. Exactly. Exactly. So I think even today, when you talk about language, when we talk about changing the name, it's that same thing that's kind of like, I don't really want to say anything because I don't want to go back and forth. I don't want to argue. I don't want to be destructive, you know, but at the, but when we really sit and think about it, who are we? benefiting when we continue this narrative of a riot because a riot says hey i was attacked i'm attacking it says oh this is a civil unrest it says that there was more property damage than lives lost it says so many things that it wasn't this was a all-out killing spree that people just need to settle in with here in atlanta and, and, and start moving it forward. Um, so, yeah, 1906 Atlanta Race Massacre is very interesting. There's still organizations to this day that is up and running, even merged together um, from that massacre. There is still organizations that have put that have maneuvered them themselves from being the the leadership of Atlanta to actually being a business format of how Atlanta moves and how it distributes money and how it uh, interacts with the African-American population. Like, yeah, we'll give you some funds to put up artwork. We'll give you some funds to do this. But getting down to the root of it is you are here because you caused the massacre, You are in this position because you caused the massacre. That's really what it comes down to. And then the other side, you know, that we have to kind of start looking at uh, outside of the economics is just the, the way we interact with each other. We have to start having those truth-telling conversations. And that's what, you know, this work, this memorialization pushes you to do, right? Like, it pushes you to have those conversations. Um, even in, in the coalition, we go back and forth. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, we're one step closer. Um, so that is where we are uh, with the 1906. We're coming up on the 116th year, yeah. like you said in the and, beginning. All right. Well, <laughs> so I like I said, I think we got it all. I'm going to... Mm-hmm. 
you can go back and listen to the older episode, which again has a more outdated language, but the facts are still there. Yes. And um, make sure you go to some of the programming. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much, Anne, for You're welcome. sharing your knowledge and your work. This is fun. I, I, I don't I don't podcast at all. This is like Anne and us do this in real life every mm-hmm. day. We just never record it. Yeah. So this is kind of funny. Yeah, we should just start a, recording our conversations. Right. You're getting an in-depth detail of our conversation, <laughs> minus a few names and a few curse words. Minus yeah. a few stronger opinions yeah. and some cursing. <laughs> yes. But thank you for highlighting this. Thank you for highlighting my work. Thank you for being a great friend. And just like a Conrad in this, like literally being in history and not holding those upward college degrees that yeah. people deem you to have is a struggle. So I it am It's a struggle happy. being a woman. Uh, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm one, one level ahead of you. I'm just a, right. I'm a white woman without the degree. You're a black woman without the degree. Without we the both degree get history. passed yeah. over questions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a hard, it's a hard life a out hard there. Thing. But we work through it and we have each other and we have our community. Yeah. And that's what Change the Name is about. It's about the community having space and opportunity to say what they want. Because we do hold that power of saying, yeah, this is what we want. And I don't, I don't care. So it's really... What's really cool is that we are able to take and reimagine and redefine what 1906, the legacy of 1906. Yes. Yep. We can talk about it accurately and add the things we missed. Yeah. You know, like East Point and Brownsville. Yeah. All right. So there you have it, the story of the 1906 Atlanta Race Massacre. If you're local to Atlanta, there are a few events I want to mention. Um, Tonight, so Friday, is a special screening of the WABE documentary about the 1906 Race Massacre. I think it might be sold out, but you can also watch it on WABE TV on Sunday, September 24th, and is available nationwide on October 1st. There is a community symposium on the massacre happening tomorrow, September 23rd, at the Auburn Avenue Research Library. Um, there are several equitable dinners happening throughout the weekend and into next week. And there is a Gammon Street walking tour with Anne that's happening September 29th, which I will be there. If you did not remember this, don't worry, there are links in the show notes to all of the things. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. There's also a Patreon link in the show notes if you'd like to support the work. I hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.